morning, church. Don't even need to sit. I know. Up and down, up and down, up and down. We're going to give you a workout. Keep you from falling asleep. We're going to read the scriptures out loud together. Remember, we're going to do our call and response. So join me if you are able to stand. And if you're watching online or at home, then hey, stand there too. I'm watching you. Can you imagine if we had a reverse camera and I could just see everybody? And like, oh, I see you. Get out of the pajamas. All right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, 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 okay. Well, almost, almost. Kind of like you wanted to get there, but you weren't sure. You weren't sure. You didn't want to be the only one getting there. I got you. I got you. Okay, here we go. Let's try that again. Let's give it some oomph. Because forever is a pretty awesome thing. So, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. Yeah, yeah, you guys, thank you. Thank you. Wow. It, you know, doesn't it just feel good to read that scripture? It's like a fresh shot of powerful, truth-filled, positive thinking in the best sense of the word. So, you know, you're coming in here this morning discouraged, heavy-minded. Maybe you're just, your thoughts are just so heavy with the challenges that you're facing right now, the doubts, the concerns, that you just need a fresh boost of God's uplifting truth. There's something so refreshing about these words, isn't it? I want to start with the second verse, which is our focus for the weekend. Man, I love this verse. I just feel like I could just say, we're done. We're not leaving this verse for the rest of the series. We're just going to sit on this because, first of all, just look at the imagery. The imagery of the second verse of this psalm is one of the most iconic, memorable images next to the image of the valley, the shadow of death. When you think of Psalm 23, people think of the green pastures, right? The quiet waters. So when we look at this verse, it's intentionally rich with imagery to conjure to mind this picture. Now, when you look at this picture, what impression does it make on you? What is the quality, the tone, the pace, the texture, the quality of this image when you look at it? All right, I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to think, come up with an adjective as I read this out loud. He... The good shepherd, the all-sufficient one, the one who is never tired, never weary, who leads us into a life of abundance in which we lack nothing. The first thing that he does is he makes us lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I like where you were going. You're already going to do those adjectives. That's what I want you to do. Okay, when you look at this imagery, the imagery of quiet waters and green pastures, what are the adjectives that come to mind? What impression does it make? Would you just take a moment, 10 seconds, make someone glad they came to church. Turn and meet someone new, share it. If you came with a friend, a family member, share it with them. One adjective from this scene. Go ahead and share. 10 seconds, real quick. Go ahead and share one thing. 
What impression does it give of you? And you know what I love about the sharing too is you're making someone feel like they're glad they came to church. You know, someone was nice to them. It's not just a big Bible study or a community gathering together around God's Word. So thank you for making others feel welcome. Okay, let's go to the next slide. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, as you guys know, I mentioned it last week. Since February, my family and I were displaced from our home. You know, water pipes broke, yada, 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 yada. And man, do I have compassion for people displaced from their homes. I know some of, the, some of you are. Some of you are in your homes, but you are displaced from it because it's not as normal. And I think of the people in Maui who are displaced from their homes. Man, I, I really feel for people going through that that displaced. It's hard to find that quiet waters when you're displaced. My family and I, for seven months, have been on, you know, hotels, friends' houses, Airbnbs, but one of the places we were staying was in Cardiff. Not bad, right? Hey, not bad. And uh, my family and I did what we always do on the Sabbath. We go for a walk, and we went for a walk on the trails because we're in Cardiff. If you haven't been to the San Diego Lagoon, you've got to go. It's just amazing. If you live in this area and you haven't done this, that is sinning against God's goodness. You need to go there and delight yourself. But look at this scene. We were reciting Psalm 23, walking. And I am walking. He leads me beside green pastures. And I'm looking up, quiet waters. And there we are. And it was just like a cool little wink from God, a nudge from God. I got you. Things are hard. Things are disrupted. Things are chaotic. I got you. You know, for maybe you're coming in this weekend and you are not experiencing life as green pastures, quiet waters. And you need this morning to hear what God has to say to you. And God wants to say to you, when you're in a desert place and you don't know how to find that place of abundance and quietness of heart, he knows where it is and he's going to get you there. And I want to speak that over to you. I know some of you are here this morning and because you are in a desert, you're in a dry place, God's word for you this morning is, trust him. He knows where that green pasture is. He's going to get you there. Now, maybe you're coming in this morning, and you're not experiencing that peaceful, serene scene. You know, maybe you're here this morning, and your mind is racing all the things you need to do, the things you haven't gotten done, the things that need to get done. Maybe there are areas of pressure or strain that are seen. Maybe you're just kind of unwinding from the frenetic pace just to get here on time. You were throwing kids 10 yards into the van to get here, right? Maybe you were literally just scrambling to get here on time, and you were just winding down. When I was on that walk, I was looking out. I was reminded of God's promise. Here it is. And I could just feel the calming joy and the delight of that scene. And that's what David wants us to picture. And it speaks to something. There's an undergirding tone and texture and pace as we dig dip deeper into this passage. I want to introduce you to this theme of rest that this psalm wants us to unpack together. But I want you to see it in the, in the verse. So first, it says, he makes me lie down. The Hebrew around that is a word. And that word, it means to stretch out. So just picture someone laying in the green grass, just stretching out. It, it has the connotation of the stretching out and to rest. So to make me lie down. So the New Living Translation, that board of excellent scholars, they capture the spirit of it because they translate that verse, he lets me rest in green meadows. And that's capturing the tone of what the lying down is meant to cap represent. Then it goes on and it says, he leads me. 
Now, this is not just any kind of leadership. This Hebrew word is used all throughout the Old Testament for a very special quality of leadership. Captures it more, it means to guide, to help along, to lead carefully. Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, He carries them close to his heart, he leads them. Um, with young, like it's this imagery of a parent slowing down with their child that can't run with them. You know, you got a little toddler, a little, little one that can't quite walk yet, right? You're not just charging along, you're like this. You know what I mean? I was just seeing dads, you know, out after first service, just kind of like this, hovering, you know. It's funny how as adults, our pace of life begins to shift when we have kids. In some ways, it gets busier, but in other ways, our life has to radically slow down because of our children. We can't do the things we used to do. They kind of slow us down, and that was what God is doing here. He's talking about slowing down. It literally is translated to move slowly, to give rest. That's all in that Hebrew word, he leads me. And then there's the quiet waters, which is, can be translated as resting place. In other places of the Old Testament, when God says the temple will be my resting place, it's that Hebrew word. That quiet, that word quiet is, dis, is used to describe places that are restful where the presence of God dwells. So the theme and rhythm of rest permeates and is imbued throughout this second verse. It's a rest, not just in circumstance or schedule or pace of life, but it runs deeper. This is a rest that what? Refreshes the soul. Let's go back to the main scripture for a minute. Can we go back to the main scripture? Yeah. Uh, verse two, the one with the whole verse two in the three thing. Yeah, this one. I added verse the beginning of verse three in there because it captures the impact, the transformational impact of coming under God's rhythm of rest in our life. It has the effect of refreshing our soul. And some of us really need that this morning. You need a rest, not just in your schedule, but in your inner being, in your deepest part. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Where maybe you find yourself, you're not doing anything. No one's talking to you but you're sitting there and your mind is running at 100 miles an hour. Your heart rate is pounding. I was with someone this week and I was just ministering to them. They were sitting there, the environment was calm, their heart was pounding and they had that wild panic look in their eyes because inside there was not rest in their soul. And that's the kind of rest that Jesus wants to give to you this morning and lead you into. That's the rest that God wants to give to us. Where is that need for you for that deep refreshment of soul? Here's the thing. We all have our ways of resting after a long day or week or year, right? The way we unwind. Think about the way you unwind after a long day. Pouring yourself out, homework, work, family, sports, kids, whatever. How do you unwind? The thing is, not everything we do actually gives us rest in our soul. It may sometimes entertain us. Sometimes the things that we do at the end of the day entertain us. They stimulate us. Think about a vacation, right? Have you ever gone on a vacation and needed a vacation from your vacation? Yeah. 
Okay, so that's not a bad thing, but it was stimulating. Now I'm talking about something else. Because see, not everything we do actually refreshes us at the deep level of the soul. We are entertained, stimulated, but we find ourselves, if we're honest, more distracted, numb, and neglecting our inner lives. And this is what Jesus wants to get to in your life. He has this great quote from John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. Great read. Check it out. For many of us, he says, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. I want us to really think about this, what he's about to say here. This is profound. The biggest danger for many of us is not that we're going to walk away from Christ and deny the truth of Scripture, but get this right here. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we, here it is, we settle for a mediocre version of it. Whoa. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Skimming. I like that. Think of this. You ever walk on a placid lake or, you know, and you get a little rock and you ever just skip that thing across the water? Ever done that? No. For that rock to skim the water, you got to throw that thing hard and fast for it to stay above the water and bounce off that surface tension. But see, Jesus wants, doesn't want us to live skimming the surface of life. He wants to slow us down so that we plunge into the depths of his life that he's giving us. That is the abundant life, but that's scary because the thought of not skimming and going deeper frightens some of us. We're afraid of what's beneath the surface of our own soul. Can you relate to that? The fear of being alone with yourself. Now that territory is a real territory. When I went hiking into the Sierra Nevadas for seven days and they had us do a seven or a 24 hour solo in just a sleeping bag. I was in a wilderness. There was no drywall around me, right? I was out there with bears and lions and Sasquatch and I was afraid. I was afraid because I'm out with the wild animals in this wilderness. And I'll tell you more frightening is the wilderness of our own soul that we are unfamiliar with because we are skimming the surface of life. But that region, that territory of your soul is created to be the resting place of God where you commune with your maker. And if Satan can keep you busy, distracted and running at hundred miles an hour, he can keep you from communion with your maker. That's the invitation, the rest in the presence of God. This is about submitting to God's rhythm of rest so that we can enter his abundant life. Can you say abundant life? Abundant Abundant life, my friends. And the first thing out of the gates Jesus talks about is making us lie down. So here, we're going to talk, we're going to look at three key moments in the Bible where we unpack this theme of rest. Last week, we looked at the verse word for word. This week, we're going to see how one verse can be like a key that unlocks the entire scripture to help us understand a powerful theme, the theme of rest. We're going to start that with Genesis chapter two. This is the first moment I want to draw your attention to as we unpack the theme of rest as God's invitation to abundant life. Genesis 2, 3. The first mention of rest in the Bible, right here. Before sin, before the world, world was plagued with all of with evil. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, all of humanity and the animals rested. No, no, 
Now, this is fascinating, right? I'm playing with you. But look, because on it, who rested? God rested. Now, that's interesting from all his work that he had done in creation. Why is God resting? And what does that say to us about the nature of rest, its importance in your life? The idea of rest begins with God. The word for rest here, let's go to the next slide. The word right there for rest is the word sabbat. It's the word we get Sabbath from. There it is in the Hebrew. And it literally means to cease or to stop action. So when we read that and we go, God rested? What is this? Why would God need to rest if he's the all-sufficient one, never tiring? Well, what if it's not because God got tired? What if God was not stopping because he was tired, but because he had another reason for it? And I want to unpack that reason. Now, God's not resting from fatigued, but he's ceasing from his work. Seven times in Genesis chapter one, after God has had a hard week's worth of work, a productive week. How about, what did you do this last week? What did you accomplish this last week? What did you get done? See, for God in that week, he had created light. How about you? What'd you make? God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, he's just making all this stuff. He's just flexing. He's having a blast. He's having a party. And after every one of these moments of creation. It has a rhythm to it. It's, it ends with this phrase. Let's go to the next slide. It ends with this phrase, and God saw that it was good. Let's read this out loud together. And God saw that it was good. Very good. Now that's in the Hebrew. God makes light and goes, oh, that's good. He made all the plants. Oh, that's good. He made all the animals. Oh, that's good. He made humanity. He made you. That is so very good. So why does God stop? It's almost like God's like, man, that was so good. Watch for it. I need to stop and just take it all in because that was so good. Man, I was on fire this week. I need to go back and just delight in what I have done. Now that's it right there. Here's the key idea. Rest makes room for delight. Check this out. Joy, celebration. The word sabbat is used in the Old Testament for celebration. So why do we rest? Why does God rest? Because it's the way in which he pauses to delight in the goodness of what he has made, including you. You see, when we rest and we enter God's rest, it's not just because we're tired. Some of us, we're like masters of the universe. We are those people that never need to sleep at night. We function on four hours of sleep, right? We don't need a day off. We are almost superhuman. And compared to all the rest of the ordinary folk, we are just indefatigable human beings that can work endlessly. But listen, the first thing about rest isn't just because you feel tired. It is a way of entering into God's delight. When you rest and pause, you are able to look back at what God is doing in your life. You're able to enter into his joy, his celebration. And that speaks to emotional well-being. When you rest, it enhances and connects you to an abundance within. The wellspring of God's abundance begins to well up in you when you rest his joy, his delight. Your delight in your spouse, your delight in your parents, your delight in the good things that God's doing. And it prevents us from making and viewing people in our life in a utilitarian way. What are they doing for me to get things done? 
delight. God didn't make creation because he needed to get something done. He did it for joy. And when we stop resting, we begin to lose the joy of the good gifts that God's put in our life. We lose touch with God's delight in us. Are you with me? We'll come back to that theme. But I want you to see that rest begins with God. The second moment is now, let's fast forward, Exodus 34, 21. God, at the very outset of creation, has hardwired a rhythm of work and rest into, listen, the fabric of the created order. And so now, because of sin, humans are displaced from that rhythm, thinking they are God and they are tireless and can work nonstop. And so God begins to realign his people with his rhythm that he has wired into creation. Watch how he does it. Exodus 34, 21, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day, he says, you shall rest even during the plowing season and harvest when there's so much to do and you want to get all the harvest in. He's like, especially then when you're just chock full, overflowing with opportunity, rest, slow it down. Don't seize every moment. Pause for a full day of no productivity. Oh. Okay, so this moment is when, picture the scene. 1.2 million people in the desert. Let's go to the desert. No longer the green pastures and the still waters, right? They're on route from Egypt to Canaan. They're going through the desert. One, two point million people are going through this landscape and they are thirsty. They are hungry. They are grumbling. They want to stone Moses. They're talking about how great it was to be a slave in Egypt. They're coming out of slavery for 450 years, but that mindset of slavery is still in them, and God is trying to transform them and get them out of it and restore his image to them because it's a mindset of slavery that says, I can't rest, I can't stop, I have to work. That is a spiritual posture of slavery. Slavery to your own self-sufficiency, your own godhood, and the dependence that you put on yourself to provide everything that you need. Now see, the Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath was God saying, you don't need to work every day. I'm in charge now, not Pharaoh. I got you. You see what God's doing here? I got you. For 450 years, you had a taskmaster that told you if you don't work harder and longer and more, you are going to miss out and run out of opportunities and your family is going to die. And God's saying, I got you. You are my son, my daughter. I'm going to back you up. And so they get thirsty. They get hungry. They go, hey, where's God? And they start panicking and freaking out. Now, here's the thing. What does it say to us? Rest sometimes is offensive scary, counterintuitive, and feels ridiculous, impractical, and pie in the sky. Are you with me? Who has time to rest? I need to go find food and water. But listen, rest is an act of dependence on God. So rest is delight. We saw that in Genesis 1. But now rest is a, po a spiritual posture of dependence on God. 
I don't depend on myself to provide. God is the one who provides for me now. So when we take a day of rest, for example, when you take a moment of rest in your day, it's an act of defiance to that old spirit of slavery that said it's up to you. It's an act of hope and faith. God has got my back. And I can pause. I can slow down because my trust and my hope is in the Lord. Do you see? It's an act of faith. And that's why God institutes it into their weekly rhythm. It becomes structured into their week so that it's meant to train them that their provision, that their abundance is not ultimately up to them. Now, I know right now you're freaking out. You're going, gosh, what is this guy? This sounds like laziness to me. This is so impractical. I mean, come on, you got to do the dishes. My teenager's going to walk out of here and think they don't have to do any chores. So I know, I know. So let me just say this right now to all you freaking out parents. Uh, This is not a dualism of one is better than the other. Listen to this great quote I got. Um, I love this quote here. Work is not better than rest, nor is rest better than work. Ah, okay. It's not one or the other. Listen, God did both. And the goodness is in the movement back and forth between the two. You see that? Okay, here we go. Look at this next quote. Uh, The next one. Yeah, I love this one too. Work gives meaning to rest. Doesn't it feel good to rest after a good hard work? Yeah, some of us maybe are learning to work hard, you know, and you haven't learned to work hard. And so you don't really appreciate rest. So if you're not working hard, then rest is just laziness, right? It's not really rest. But check this out. But rest also gives meaning to our work as we step back from it, behold it, and take the time to call it good. Do you see where that goes going back to? Back to God. Time to call it good and savor its fruit. Now that's what we're talking about. Rest is an act of dependence. And then it's not just something structured in our week. It becomes a spiritual posture. But that posture internally is forged in your life by instituting it structurally into your weekly rhythm. And that's how God intended it to be. That's why no matter how much you want to, you have to sleep. No matter how many coffees you drink or how, you know, just superhuman you might be, you still got to sleep. And that's because God's hardwired it as an act of faith. God, I sleep tonight because it's not about me. It's about you. Okay. Sabbath is a practice, a habit, and it's meant to return and realign us with God's rhythm. I take a Sabbath every week on Saturdays. My Sabbath is Saturday because I work on Sundays. So that whole day, I don't work. And people who work with me at our church send me texts on Saturdays. I ignore all of them unless it's an absolute crisis or emergency. I ignore them. All right, great. Good for you. You're working, not me. And then secondly, this sermon is never done. I'll tell you, I finish on Friday. I'm like, ugh, oh my God. And I'm thinking all the things that could be better. And I'll tell you, I've made a decision this year. And I'll tell you with one exception. And you know what? Some days I just, I buckle. But there was a weekend where I worked on that Saturday and I repented. And I just haven't done it since. One time this entire year, I worked on a Saturday on a message and, um, but I abstain from that. The only exceptions I make on Saturdays are for memorial services and weddings, which I don't do often, but I do do them. I did one last weekend. So I worked through the weekend. But I don't work on the sermon. I put it off. I wake up early Sunday morning, no matter how I feel, no matter all the work that I could do. I had one Sunday, you guys, where I woke up with no sermon written. I had to wake up at 4.30 to write it before service. 
but I was rested. I was ready to write that. It, it came out of me like hot lava. It was awesome. I was so, I came in and it was fresh and I was fired up. Delight, dependence. Here's the last one. The third moment is in Matthew eleven twenty eight, And then, now we're going to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All right, let's just pause. Anyone here burdened and weary right now? Raise your hand. You got some burdens? You got some weariness? Come on, we, we're not a, we, we don't have it all together. You put your hand up. You're saying, you know what? It's okay for you to be messed up too. Anyone else here messed up? Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. See, there's a myth that church is for people who pretend and think they got it all together, but we're going to just destroy that right now, right? We don't. We don't. I had a, you know, I had a crazy week too. I'm with you guys. Okay, here we go. Jesus saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will Find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, real quick, watch here what Jesus is doing and how this ties back to Psalm 23. There are three commands. He says, come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. Those are the commands that Jesus is giving. Come to me. There's his command. Come to me. You did. You're here. Good job. Well done. Come on. Hey, give yourself a hand. Did it. Hey, just coming here is a challenge, isn't it sometimes? Huh? Okay. And of course, it's not just showing up to church on Sunday. It's coming to him in those quiet moments through the week and in our day, right? It's, it's turning our thoughts, our hearts, our intentions towards him. To take my yoke, it is coming under his leadership. And you're literally coming under his teaching, his wisdom. And to learn from me, it means you're becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, here's what we get from all this. Ultimately, rest, number one, isn't something we give ourselves. Rest, the rest that refreshes the soul comes from God. Now, why that's important is because if you don't understand that, you can mistake that glass of red wine as your solution to the rest in your soul. You can mistake that vacation as the solution to your rest for your soul. There's room in life for both of those good things, but they are not going to give you rest to your soul. You can have your favorite hobby. You can play all the pickleball and win all the pickleball tournaments you can get your hands on, but that is not the same as being refreshed in your soul. These things can be used by God to contribute to it, but we have to understand as human beings who follow Jesus that our rest comes from God, and he gives us that rest through many different avenues, but there's a perspective shift here. You don't go out and get that rest. You come to God for that rest. I'll give you an example. When I go on vacation, I intentionally always stop and pray, God, refresh my soul during this time, because being in a beautiful place or being away from my normal schedule is not enough to refresh my soul. It's the presence of God that refreshes our soul. And you can be on a vacation and you can lose sight of God. You can be doing your things that make you feel good, but you can find yourself, whoa, if it's not being done with an awareness of God, it pretty soon leaves you distracted and numbed to the things that are really ravaging your inner life. So these are good gifts, but we got to see it's coming to Jesus. Rest is the fruit of surrendering to Jesus' discipleship. Okay. Moving at his pace. 
following Jesus is not just about coming under his morality, his sense of right and wrong and his ethics, although it does involve that. It's more than that. It's more encompassing. Now, this is going to mess with you. To follow Jesus faithfully is to come under his rhythm of life because when the sheep get out in front of the shepherd, they get lost. And that's why what John Ortberg said earlier is so true that for some of us, the greatest threat is not that we will lose touch with the truth of scripture or just stop believing in God, but we will develop a lifestyle in our life that crowds out God and leaves no room for the fruit of his spirit. So this is what I want to get to. Check this out. Why is this, is Jesus so uh, emphatic about this rest that he gives? Why does the Bible from start to finish talk about the rest? Because rest is what cultivates the climate of soul. Listen to this. Rest cultivates the climate of soul for the fruit of the spirit to grow. It's hard to grow an orchid in snow. It's hard to grow an apple tree in the middle of Antarctica. There is a climate of soul that rest allows you to have to grow that fruit. You can dig down, you can plant all the seeds, you can try all you want, but if the environment is not supporting the fruit that God wants to produce in your life, no matter how hard, how much you read the Bible, memorize it, come to church, if your pace of life is ignoring his rhythms of rest and work and renewal, you're not going to grow the fruit of the Spirit. Because how hard is it to be patient when you're in a rush? How hard is it to be loving when you need to go from A to Z and you don't have time to talk to somebody? Come on. It's hard to be loving when you're in a hurry. Are you with me? All the road rage out there. I remember one time I was just the other day, yesterday, I was in such a hurry to get to the car. I walked up to my wife and I said, hey, hey, Mary, hey, Stacy, can I have the keys? I didn't even look up. I grabbed the keys and Stacy goes, Ryan. And I turned around and she points at the woman next to her and it wasn't Mary, it was Julie. It was some other person. I didn't even know who was there. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Uh, I, I didn't even look at you. And I hurt myself. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Oh, but we do that. You're in such a rush. See, hurry is the enemy to love. Hey, parents, it's, of course it's hard to love when you're multitasking a bunch of things at once. So some ways in which I try to adjust my pace to be a more loving presence is when I had to work and my kids needed my attention, I put the work aside. I stopped trying to work and listen at the same time because I just found that I was getting into these explosive moments with them. You know, we're like, hey, dad, can I have some water? No, you cannot have water right now. I'm on the phone. And I would blow up because my kid just wanted some water. I know I'm exaggerating, but come on. Huh? It can get a little real like that, can it? Uh, you know, we got to work. We, gotta, we have responsibilities, but it's about learning to recognize that rest is not a sin it's an invitation and it's a command and it's a promise. It's a posture that cultivates an environment of soul for God's relational values to take root in us. Okay, let me just say, let me just repeat this and say this as directly as I can. There are fruits of the spirit that cannot grow in your soul because your pace of life won't afford it. Now, I, listen. Let me just speak to those circumstances in life where it feels out of your control. 
I'll give you an example. The last seven months, we've been moving from, we were moving from place to place. It was frenetic. It was hectic. There was a kind of busyness having to rebuild some parts of the house. And it was just like, gosh, I just feel like we're so crowded. We were getting irritable and grouchy. My daughter at one point's like, I just feel like everyone's always mad in the house. And I was convicted of that. It's like, oh, it just, it just stuck me. It stuck me. And I said, Lord, I don't want that. I want my daughter to see that when things are difficult, there is another posture of spirit and quality of life available even when things are difficult. I just asked God, God, what can I do to begin to slow things down? He's like, well, start spending time with me. Listen to this. I had stopped having quiet times with God. I was getting up. All my routines, because of the moving, had, I lost my routines. Pretty soon we were in a room all together. It's hard to get a quiet time in that room. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're in a circumstance of physical pain, grief, or displacement, and you don't know how to find that safe place, that quiet place, just start to ask the Lord to show you, Lord, how can I quiet down? How can I get to that quiet place with you? How can I slow my life down and find those places of rest with you? And he's going to show you. Just start to ask him to guide you. Because listen, part of the job of the shepherd is when we are in a desert place, it's him who guides us to the green pastures that we can't find. He will guide us there. But sometimes you've got to stop, acknowledge that you're feeling lost. You don't know how to find that quiet place and ask him to show you. Sometimes it's doing things that you used to do that you forgot about, like me. Sometimes it's allowing God to teach you new practices that align you with his rhythm. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Verse 23, 2. He leads me. And to be led by Jesus is to be led into his rest. And some of us, the biggest threat to that rest is all the good stuff you're doing. Let me tell you, this is going to be a hard one. Some of you are doing so much good that you have lost that place of rest with the Lord. You have to ask the Lord and discern, have we overcommitted ourselves? Or are we just in a challenging season where we need to quiet ourselves and allow God to show us how to find that green pasture in, as an oasis in a desert place? Ask the Lord. Talk to your spouse, your friend, and discern that together. There's no easy answers, but discern it. I want to end this section. So delight, dependence, discipleship. We get discipled into his rest. Okay, we'll get Eugene Peterson and we'll wrap it up. Same verse, but in a fresh way. You're going to love this. Are you tired? Worn out? Can I get an amen? Burned out on religion. Holla. You can even get burned out on doing a bunch of good Christian stuff. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that what rest is? It's a renewing of our confidence in the grace of God that is the provision of our life that doesn't depend on us, but comes from him, the giver of all good gifts. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Could you use some of that? 
Man, if you're feeling the need for that right now, would you just put your hand up? I want to see you. Put your hand up if you need that. Okay. Okay, if you just put your hand up, we're going to pray for you. Would you just stand up for a minute? And by standing, you're saying, God, I need your help. And you got to understand, I do this during, the, during these services sometimes because there's something about our response that facilitates faith and allows us to receive what God's doing. Secondly, it allows people around us to say, I'm not alone. Okay, you see these dear ones standing? This is an act of faith because it's a humbling thing to say, God, I need your help. If you're sitting next to them, would you stand and put a gentle hand on their shoulder next to them? Just real quick, stand up. We're going to stand with you right now. This is a sign from God. God, right now, sees your need. He knows your weariness. He knows your desert place. And he has stood with you. And it's his hand that rests upon your shoulder right now. And so we want to pray, Holy Spirit, come. Bring a renewed awareness of your presence to these dear ones right now as we put our hand on their shoulder. May it signal to them that your hand is on their life. You are their good shepherd and you will guide them into your abundance and provision and blessing. They're in a desert place, but you're going to get them to the green pasture. So if you stood up for that prayer moment, I want you just to repeat after me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And so we just declare, God, your blessing over each one, a renewed confidence that you're guiding them. Would you guide them into that rest? Even in the midst of difficult circumstance, would you renew their soul today? Help them to pause, to rest, and realign with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, thank you. You guys, for time's sake, I'm going to be very quick about this. You can go online and get this. But I want to end on a practical note. Go to the last slide with the annual thing and the uh, weekly slide, the practical one, the next steps. Uh, yeah, there, no, before these. We're not even going to do those. No time for that. No time for that. Before. I have so many notes, man. So many good stuff, man. Go before that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, this one. Okay, put it into practice. Would you talk with a friend, a, a spouse, a roommate, whoever you got in your life, your parent, whoever, about your annual rhythms, weekly rhythms, and daily rhythms? Real quick, put it into practice. Are there annual rhythms that can realign you with God's rhythm of rest? So, for example, on your vacations, is there a, do you do vacations that stimulate without refreshing? Something to consider. Maybe one of your vacations is not a stimulating vacation. It's a restful vacation. My family for nine years goes to the same place every year. The first three years, it was exciting. Now it's beautifully boring. There's nothing new there. It's just calming and quieting. Nothing new. And I, every year we go, I come back even more rested than I did the first three years because it doesn't stimulate. You can also do this. On your vacations, tithe a day or two away from whatever that trip is to being home where nobody knows your home yet, but you're home and you're just quieting down and you're bringing that rhythm of just rest back to your home place. Because sometimes we come back and need a vacation from our vacation, right? So maybe tie the couple days to just be with the Lord and to thank him. Because when you're running around, you know, some fun country, maybe you lose touch with God. You're not really praying that much because you're so busy, but here. Number two, annual rhythm can be I want to challenge you to set a, a, a prayer retreat. Okay, here we go. A day or half day. 
prayer retreat. It could be a spa day, ladies. It could be a spa day. I know. I said to husbands, hey, give them a spa day. They deserve it. Come on. And take the day just to be with the Lord and learn how to spend a day with the Lord like that. Invite a friend to join you. Weekly rhythms. I would encourage you to consider the Sabbath. If you don't take a Sabbath, consider a 24-hour period in the week where you're not going to work. I do the normal work week's work, okay? You're not going to go to the soccer game and multitask and close deals. I see dads doing it all the time. The game's going on. Their daughter's scoring the goal. They're like, oh, yes, sell, sell, sell. Bye, bye, bye. You know, they're on the phone. They're grinding it out. But maybe I want to challenge you to find a way to press that back on that. I did this at a message to a bunch of execs from all these major league sports teams. They looked at me like I was on drugs, right? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we cannot rest. And I'm like, look. Ask the Lord to show you this is deeply ingrained in the fabric of God's created order. God has a way for you. Look for a 24-hour period in your week. Uh, I have a book on Sabbath up here. Let's look at this one. If you want to read a book to get you into the mindset of it, Sabbath by Wayne Mueller. We'll have it on the website. Awesome book. Uh, can I get the band to come on up? As the band comes up, daily rhythm. Take 10 minutes a day and meditate on this psalm. I am hoping that by the end of this series, two things will have happened. You have memorized the psalm and you have learned, if you don't already, you've learned to memorize and meditate daily for a minimum 10 minutes where you just sit in quiet and you allow the imagery and the words to wash over your mind. If you're really crazy, twice in the day. I was talking to someone who's struggling with panic attacks and I taught them do it in the morning, in the evening. And it's going to start to quiet the waters of your thought life and tune you to God's thoughts as you do that daily. Just meditate on the Word of God. Just let the imagery wash over. Just tune your breathing to the, the reciting of those scriptures. Learn to take those deep breaths, a five count of inhale, a five count of exhaling. Slow your mind, slow your heart rate and allow the thoughts of God to renew your mind. I want to invite you to do that. It's going to change you if you do it. I've been doing it for nine years. Ah. If you just need prayer, you're in a desert place, and you need help from God to get to that green pasture, that quiet mind, that quiet heart, we have a prayer team that's up here and is ready to pray for you. Prayer team, come on up. Let us pray for you. Um, and uh, would you please do me a favor? Talk to somebody this week, today, ideally, about what is the invitation for you? Is it in your annual, your weekly, your daily rhythm? How can you take a step into that rest that God wants to bring you into so that he can lead you into his abundant life. And with that said, let me end on this word. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. May the abundance of God's goodness and grace and peace overflow in your life this week. And may you enter his rest in Jesus' name. God bless you. I'll see you outside with my lollipops. <laughs>